We're not crazy. The system is. Tune in to Madness Radio, Voices and Visions from Outside Mental Health, Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on Pacifica Affiliate, WXOJLPFM 103.3, Valley Free Radio. Produced by Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. Streaming live, podcasting, and archived at madnessradio.net. Thanks for joining us on Madness Radio. And today our guest is um, Paul Levy, who is the author of a really fascinating book called The Madness of George W. Bush, A Reflection of Our Collective Psychosis. So yes, we're going to be talking about the madness of our president today on Madness Radio, and that's going to be coming up. Paul's calling us from Portland, Oregon. Um, But first, a little bit about um, Madness Radio. We are co-produced by the Freedom Center and the Icarus Project. Freedom Center is a local support, activism, and advocacy community in Northampton, Massachusetts that works with people who have different um, psychiatric labels like schizophrenia or bipolar and who are looking for alternatives to the mainstream system. And you can check out our website, which is freedom-center.org. And um, Madness Radio is also co-produced by the Icarus Project, which is a national, really an international group now. It's mostly online at theicarusproject.net. But there are some local groups around the country. Um, There's one in Portland, actually, in San Francisco, uh, New York, Minneapolis, Chicago, a lot of different um, local groups. And uh, there's a discussion forum, a lot of different things going on on the Icarus Project website, theicarusproject.net. So now it is my um, my great pleasure to introduce a friend of mine um, who I've known for, I guess, maybe nine or ten years now. Um, uh, Paul Levy is the author of The Madness of George W. Bush, A Reflection of Our Collective Psychosis. He is one of the founders of the Padmasambhava Buddhist Center in Portland, Oregon. He's the author of numerous articles um, about the uh, the waking up process, about the lucidity process, and he's going to be telling us uh, about uh, what that is exactly. Um, he's a scholar of Jungian psychology and also Tibetan Buddhism, and he has a private practice as a counselor and teacher and leader of very innovative lucid dreaming groups in Portland, Oregon. And he joins us now um, via phone. Um, thanks a lot for joining us on the show, Paul. Yeah, hey, it's my pleasure to be here, Will. Thank you. That's great. So um, what do you think of that introduction, man? Did I miss anything? Well, yeah, one thing you did miss <laughs> is that I, I had a spiritual awakening yes. 25 years ago that wound me up getting thrown in mental hospitals for the first year a number of times exactly. and diagnosed as being, um, you know, at that point they called it manic depression, which was really kind of very very confusing to me because it was clear to me that I wasn't manic depressive that I was more emotionally disturbed by what was happening in my life and I was real fortunate in being able to um, to extricate myself from the whole psychiatric community pretty quickly but it was still real traumatic because it broke up you know it I mean there were there were certain aspects that were real tragic like it broke apart my family who bought into the diagnosis of me being mentally ill. Wow, so can you tell us tell us a little bit more about that? I mean, I want to we did a show um, with you about a year and a half ago that people can right. listen to um, which is archived on our website. Sure, I could it? just give you the a yeah. little, you know, kind of brief synopsis in that um, I'm I was the only child and my my father was really he was the person in the family system who was playing the role, you could say of the abuser. He was a real sociopath. And being the only child, I was the recipient of and it was basically um, um, emotional abuse. So that really activated in me a deep wound 
real deep suffering and um, I went into the wound and into the suffering, you know, by doing meditation and following my dreams, stuff like that. And that precipitated that actually, um, you know, what came out of that was this experience of, of, of the spiritual awakening. And the way to describe that was, um, you know, very out of the ordinary experiences happened. But the really most essential way to describe what was happening was that I was beginning to have experiences that this life that we're all in was very much like a dream. In that stuff began happening to me that was not physically possible to happen in this actual supposed three third dimensional world we live in, but could only happen in dreams. What would be an example of, of that? Well, like, um, hmm, that's kind of an edgy question because there are so <laughs> many examples and I'm, I'm, I've been so conditioned to, to really, you know, have a hesitancy to share just because of the fear of being judged or being seen as being crazy when I share these out of the ordinary experiences. But they, like one would be the, the very first one I feel comfortable sharing and that I was, I was being brought by an ambulance to Highland Hospital in Oakland, California. This was May 1981 got brought into the into the psychiatric um, you know part of the hospital got brought into the lounge where all the psych patients were was totally filled with spirit at this point was you know was having a real profoundly direct experience of feeling like I was on the cutting edge of the big bang and having the realization that this was all a dream that all six and a half billion of us were were really collaboratively dreaming up together into materialization and I saw in that one of the patients in that in that in that psych ward was this woman who was blind and I didn't even do anything I just as soon as I saw her I just found myself going right up to her and as if I was some sort of a channel just I began saying the words or I should say more accurately these words very spontaneously came out of my mouth and what they were were all you have to do to see is open your eyes and and look and I kept on saying those words over and over and getting closer to her and just her eyes were very much a blind person's eyes very opaque with no radiance I mean that was very obvious and as I kept on saying all you have to do to see is, is open your eyes and look um, she her eyes gained their sight back after about a course of a minute of me saying that and right as if on cue that's when they came and took me and they strapped me up on a table for the night and and then to complete the story the next day they unstrapped me and they put me in a room with this woman this ex-blind woman because now she could see and we were just sitting you know it was just very odd that she was the only other person in the room sitting across the table and she was just smiling at me from ear to ear and then all of a sudden my heart chakra just blossomed you know, it was very obvious I'd never had that experience so fully, and I had the understanding, oh, I get it, her eyes were physically fine, but um, she was not sort of psychically allowing herself to see, and that was manifesting as her blindness, and I was somehow just the person, you know, that central casting scent to play that role to help her to heal her eyes, and I said my lines very, you know, correctly or whatever, and um, and and then as soon as I had that realization, she then said the one and only thing I, that I know if she ever said to me, she said, aren't you going to answer the phone call from Roy, which is my father's name? And then within like seconds, the nurse came down and came into the room and said to me, Paul, your father's on the phone. 
So that was an example of one of the many things that began happening. And, um, and, and you know, I should point out that I, I've contemplated that. That was like the seed of the work that I've developed that I do in this, in this life of helping people to see that they're dreaming because I was realizing, wow, I was, you know, in a way dreamed up as the figure to help her to step out of her blindness and help her to heal. But she was also a dream figure of mine. She was that blind part of me that was not allowing myself to look. And somehow that sort of unfolded out of the implicate order, so to speak. And there that part of myself was that I was helping to heal. And so that's, that's um... the dreaming. And, and, you know, that's the dreaming process. That's what I've really, that's what my book is about, is contemplating George W. Bush and what's happening in the body politic as if it's, you know, this deeper, this mass shared dream that we're all dreaming up and seeing what is being shown to us when you contemplate it in that way. So that's, I and mean, that's very interesting. I think a lot of people, well, maybe, I mean, certainly a lot of people don't have that experience, but sometimes when someone has that experience, they'll describe it as, I have this healing power. And you're describing it more as like a healing that's happening as part of a larger dreaming and you're playing a role Right, that, that was very clear. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. identifying myself as being, oh, I have this healing power. I mean, that was just very obvious from just the nature of the experience. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, you know. and then just, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, like I said, our previous interview with you, we went into this in, in detail, but then you, you took this, I mean, rather than just dismissing it as delusional, and I'm sure they were trying to convince right. you that you were just delusional, you took it right. very seriously and you, and you went on to do spiritual practice and then cultivated... Right this whole um, lucid dreaming, uh, waking up in the dream approach that you have. Um, and so tell right, us right. a little bit about that. And then let's, then let's dive into George. Um, sure, w. sure. Bush. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And because what I, from that, you know, over the course of a number of years and keep in mind, I mean, it was a very difficult time in that during that next year, probably, I don't know, 10 times or something like that. I got thrown in hospitals and always diagnosed and I was aware, my God, the, you know, this is insanity. These psychiatrists are just idiots, which I would tell them that, which of course would just confirm to them all the more of, my, of how crazy I was. But then, um, you know, I, I, I was very aware just by the nature of my experience, which was so deep that I was having a spiritual awakening. And what I began to see was, wow, just like in a, in a night dream, where in an ordinary dream you don't know you're dreaming and you think you're awake and you think everything and everybody is separate from you and you think that the dreamscape exists in this objectively existing way but then you know something can happen where you can have the recognition in that night dream of the nature of your experience i.e. that you're dreaming that it's just a projection of your mind that it's an actual reflection of your mind that it's your own energy just appearing externalized as a dream and when you have that recognition that's when you're like that's when you've woken up in the dream and that you know I began having experiences like that in my night dream but that was basically the nature of the experience that I was having in my waking dream and I was I so what I did I, I kind of deepened that understanding and then out of that realization developed um, you know what I call these um, awakening in the dream groups, which is what I, I facilitate all throughout the week here in Portland, which was the vehicle that I kind of have developed to not just in an intellectual way show people that they're dreaming, but to actually give people the real initiation how their 
inner process is actually manifesting as their outer life in a way where they could actually have that experience so as to integrate their whatever their unhealed wound is, their incomplete processes, their their asleep part is. And so that's basically what I've developed for my actual work. And then the book came out of that because in the book, in essence, Okay, hang on. What before I just you, did was contemplate. You, yeah, before you move uh-huh. on to the book, tell us a little bit more about the an example of how that operates in the group. And also, I mean, pe- maybe spell it out for people how the idea of this is all a dream is really a very ta- sure. timeless spiritual belief. Sure, that no, that's exactly what any spiritual, mm-hmm. exactly mm-hmm. what any what any wisdom tradition talks about. And the way to understand it very simply is if I have an unhealed wound and if I go to sleep tonight in my bed and have a dream my unhealed wound is is absolutely going to show up in my night dream because what is my night dream but my inner process just projected outside seemingly outside of myself as the dream so the inner process that i'm having inside my psyche is actually playing itself out in this seemingly external externalized reflection of the dreamscape okay and what i was having the understanding of was that that same process is at work in our life to the extent that i have an unhealed wound i'm going to because think about what a dream is a dream is an ink blot it's it's a reflection a projection of the mind and think about what an ink blot is you you project onto the ink blot and then the ink blot just in no time whatsoever just spontaneously shapeshifts to reflect back your the the very inner content that you've projected onto it so the ink blot just reflects back your inner condition and what i was understanding was oh this waking life is is very much like a dream in the same way that we project out and connect the dots in the waking ink blot so as to dream up our incomplete, unconscious, unhealed process, which then plays out as our life. And to the extent that we're unconscious of that, we actually, you know, enact that process again and again, sort of like this recurring dream, but it can be this, like, just, you know, it can kind of recreate itself in a feedback loop where we're continually just acting out our wound. Um, But what I had realized was that, wait a second, there is a way of doing that where concurrent with that same symptom of dreaming up our unhealed wound onto the ink blot of our waking life. If we have the recognition of what we're doing, something is available to us. It's actually a doorway to actually integrate and heal the very unhealed process that we're actually giving shape and form to. So one very simple way of saying that is like sort of hidden or encoded in the very seeming symptom or pathology or a problem is its solution if we have the recognition of what's being shown to us you know and that's what the groups are about they're actually alchemical containers where people will actually dream up their inner process and people will get will play out each 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 other's like unhealed wounds but because it's a container we actually add consciousness to that and unfold that in a way where that unconscious content can actually get metabolized and healed and integrated yeah i'm, I'm thinking back because i was you know i i lived in portland um back in the late uh, 90s and i was in a number of your groups and found them really enriching and great and also just um a place to kind of be when i was sort of half 
out of my mind in a lot of ways mm-hmm. myself. Sure, and, totally. As, and, as, um, as we just, all are. You know? Yeah, and I think I think there's an idea that we have of like, okay, you see someone, they remind you of someone from your past, say your father or something, and then you react in a certain way. And that's sort of one level. But what we really were able to see in your groups is that, you know, you would suddenly like the other people in your in the group would actually start acting like your father, acting like your partner. You would start um, creating the reality that you had in your head. You started to create it in the group just by mm-hmm. kind of the force of this sort of lucid dreaming phenomenon that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, then the gr- and then you would have all these people who are like very observant saying, hey, we just noticed that you're doing this and so-and-so is doing that. And then you would realize, wow, this is a part of my mind that is coming right. through. Or people would tell right. stories about dreams they had had and then the dreams would kind of get acted out in the group without totally. people planning it or realizing it. It would just be these incredible synchronicities. I think really, I think really, what you're going after here is like the essence of what is a synchronicity. People have had the experience of, of um, you know, something happens and it's a total coincidence. It's an impossible coincidence with something else that's happened in their life. I mean, I can give you an example from me. One of my um, closest friends stayed in my apartment um, a couple months ago, and she cleaned it, and she noticed on the wall is a photograph that I have of an angel. And I found this photograph on the street like three years ago. And she called me up and she said, Will, I took that photograph. <laughs> and there's no, there's just no rational explanation for the fact that I would find a photograph that she had lost on the street and then oh, put wow. it up on the wall. And then two years later, we would have met each other because I didn't know her when I found it. And so this is a right, synchronous right, right. thing. And it's a very dreamlike thing. And I guess this is where I guess where Carl Jung comes in is that you right. he was probably the person who most tried to understand this phenomenon scientifically um right. so maybe i guess maybe to move to move on to the book i just wanted to read a quote from the book which is really interesting it's called the madness of george um, w bush a reflection of our collective psychosis and it's about hitler there's a lot of comparison between bush and hitler which i think is is apt um <laughs> and he says um jung says so-called leaders are the inevitable symptoms of a mass movement. Um, Like the rest of the world, um, the German people did not understand wherein Hitler's significance lay, that he symbolized something in every individual. He represented the shadow, an inferior part of everybody's personality in an overwhelming degree, and this was another reason why they fell for him. Uh, The German people would never have been taken in and carried away so completely if this figure had not been a reflected image of the collective German hysteria. And I guess before I, I go on, I should I should just mention I am aware that Jung did have some involvement with the Nazis, and I'm not sort of naively representing that, but it's clear that later on... Uh, I, his, his... I, I just want to comment on that, Will, because okay, yeah, I was one of the people... Absolutely. There was a big conference back in, in Manhattan a number of years ago, um, on on that, and I was one of the people who actually helped to create the conference. And you know, it's a very controversial thing. But I'm, I mean, in speaking to a lot of and some of the main scholars from all over the world. I mean, the main scholars came, and I mean, I'm as a person who's um, Jewish heritage, I'm completely convinced that he wasn't like this Nazi sympathizer, and he just made some stupid remarks. Uh-huh, and so yeah. I just wanted to spell that misunderstanding because that's that's sort of in in the dream field that Young yeah. was a Nazi sympathizer and all that, and that's just wrong. Well, there's a you lot. Know, there's, there's definitely a lot of um, there's a lot of people who slam 
young for that. But just from the quote that I read, obviously, right. you know, he's he's denouncing sure. Hitler and Germany. But tell us about I mean, that's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up. But tell us about um, tell us about this book and this idea of um, Bush sure. being a reflection of our collective psychosis. Sure, sure. Totally. Well, the thing is, OK, it's very simple to explain. It'll just take a couple minutes. The first thing I actually point out that, um, you know, what, 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 the thing I've done in the book is contemplate Bush and the world situation from the point of view of what if we're having a dream and um, what, what would that show us if we contemplated it from that point of view. And so then, you know, I, I, very, I very quickly point out, well, here's the figure of Bush who's, who's embodying being really, you know, being, being actual whether you call it mad or ignorant or, you know, just you can fill in the blank. But if we think that he's separate from ourselves, then we're actually missing the mark. Because if this is a dream, he's our dream character, which means he's that aspect of ourselves. So if we see Bush as mad, and I point out he's embodying a certain type of madness, then he's a reflection in embodied form of that mad part of ourselves. So I, I point out that he has a certain madness where like the pathological core of his psyche has co-opted all of the healthy parts into its service. So he can appear, at least to a lot of people, to seem not mad at all, to seem coherent and like this regular guy, but that's because this pathological core has subsumed all of the healthy parts into its service. So the first thing, I've actually given his pathology this name because when you're dealing, like in mythology, when you're dealing with demons, once you find the name, it's the power of the word, the logos, once you find the name for the demon, it depotentiates it, it takes away its power. And so what, um, as compared to like when somebody has supposedly like, um, you know, if they're schizophrenic, which one way, one very superficial way of describing schizophrenia is that different parts of the psyche are sort of fragmented and not fully connected with each other. Um, it's not like that. I call it um, mal malignant egophrenia. And um, in the sense that it's, it's based on the, the pathological core that's co-opted all the healthy parts, like I've been saying. But um, for like the actual short form of malignant egophrenia is ME disease, ME disease, because it's an actual misidentification of, of who the person um, actually is imagining they are. But it has this inner meaning where like ME disease me disease also can stand for mad emperor disease. It's somebody who, when they're in a position of power, they actually can, can easily just fall prey to that power, become addicted to it, abuse the power simply because they can, which from the ethical point of view is, is really, you, you just can't defend that from the so, moral ethical so, point of view. So, I mean, I'm view. sure a lot of our listeners probably can imagine examples, but give us, give us a couple of examples of stuff that you talk about in the book, in the book and in your articles that Bush has done or is doing that kind of is exemplify this, this ME disease that you're talking about? Oh, well, well, I mean, it's just a, a, everything he does because <laughs> everything he does. Yeah. 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 No, no. I, I mean, basically, but, but the thing, what I want to do is first even further um, sort of articulate the disease to make it more clear what I'm pointing at, because it's not, if we're viewing Bush as a separate self, which is what the typical in the DSM-4 book, the psychiatric, you know, manual for diagnosis, they view people as individualized, discrete entities as separate selves. And then they, 
you know, they pathologize them. Oh, you have this illness and that person has that illness. I'm saying this particular, like, malignant egophrenia is not that type of diagnosis because it's much more um, through the lens of the holistic perspective in that, um, you see, so the thing is, is that what I'm saying is that if this is a dream and if Bush is actually incarnating this pathology, that means that this is a pathology that exists in potential inside all of us. So he's actually the revelation of something that exists inside the collective unconscious of our species. And um, so one way to understand this too, you see, this is a disease that actually infects the entire field, which is a you know, quantum physics term, the underlying field of consciousness, which we all share. And that's the same thing as saying that it exists inside the collective psyche of all of us. And one way to understand this is that if somebody is not seeing that Bush is mad and they actually support him, as being their leader and they follow him and they vote for him, they're actually unwittingly becoming what's called the non-local sort of agents. And non-local is a physics term which means not bound by the conventional laws of third dimensional space and time. Same thing in a dream where like all of a sudden you can have instantaneous communication. Like if I change my perspective in a dream, the dream instantaneously shapeshifts and reflects back that change faster than the speed of light. So, you know, what I'm pointing at is that, well, when you view this world as a non-local field that's seamless and whole and not separate, not separable, then all of a sudden what you begin to discover is that, you know, that deeper process that is connecting things that, uh, that previously seemed separate all of a sudden becomes, you know, being able to be seen. So people who unwittingly are supporting Bush are, are the non-local agents through which this non-local field disease called malignant egophrenia actually is propagating itself. And, you, you know, a way to understand that is think about with Hitler in the 30s in Germany seemingly good German people who didn't have the realization that Hitler was mad and were supporting Hitler, they actually became the instruments which actually, through which this field disease, it's like a psychic virus, or I call it a psycho-spiritual disease of the soul, actually propagates, replicates itself through them. And that's, that's what a collective psychosis is. And when you study Jung, again and again, he counseled us, he, his great warning to us was that the greatest danger that faced our species was for us to fall into, fall prey to a psychic epidemic, fall into a collective psychosis, and collectively as a species enact our madness in the form of war and this endless violence, and that's exactly what we're doing. So that would be the uh, the war on terror would be kind of the war on terror, which is now and just I want to point out too from another point of view because being a dream is very multidimensional. It's like we're a species in trauma, and what happens in trauma is you like have this compulsion to like to like repeat the trauma as your way of trying to heal the trauma. But the way you're trying to heal it is the very thing that's creating the very trauma that you're trying to heal from in this diabolical self-perpetuating feedback loop. That's what trauma is. 
is. And just think about what Bush is doing in trying to destroy evil, which is an insane thing to do. He's actually, in trying to like fight terrorism, he's creating the very terrorism he's trying to destroy. So just if I could, if I could tie up like, you know, the, really the main thesis of my book is that the underlying most fundamental process that's underlying what's happening in the greater body politic is to be found in the human psyche. And that Bush being the revelation of this process is actually showing us this because because it, it, it actually um, you know is found in the human psyche. Think about what Bush is doing. He's split off. He's disassociated from his own shadow and he's projecting it outside of himself, be it onto the terrorists or the Democrats or whoever. And then he tries to destroy the very darkness that he projects outside of himself. And being that this is a dream, this this world will absolutely, just like a dream, shapeshift and reflect back and send all the evidence he needs that the evil is outside of himself. Then he tries to destroy the evil that he sees out there. And by doing that, what's happened? He's become possessed by the very evil that he's trying to destroy. And that's a process that he's actually enacting and showing us. He's embodying that process. And that's a process that exists deep inside the collective psyche of each one of us. So you're, in essence, you're kind of describing Bush as being part of really a fascist movement in the U.S., but a movement understood not just psychologically, but in terms of a collective dreaming process where he, Bush, kind of reflects parts of ourselves that get projected and manifested into this collective dreaming that we're a part of. Totally, totally, because the thing is, I even, I, I take it that next step, I go, the thing about malignant egophrenia, it's a boundary-dissolving disease, where it's an inner disease of the soul, which is actually expressing itself through the medium of the outside world in a synchronistic way, where the inner and the outer have just, have just dissolved. And so what I'm pointing at is that what's playing out in the outer world is actually reflecting an inner process that's happening deep inside the collective and the individual psyche of each one of us okay so so as we are actually like unconsciously we've gotten we've unwittingly gotten drafted into playing out and acting out to the extent that we're unconscious you know on the world stage this deeper disease that we all have implicit in that disease something is being revealed to us that is most important for us to know that can potentially wake us up so the thing which is what i feel is like really like with my diagnosis just you know in a sense groundbreaking is that i've actually articulated this disease from the holistic point of view and i'm but i'm pointing out that it's a potential blessing because encoded in the disease it can potentially wake us up similarly how in quantum physics they'll talk about what's the nature of light is it a wave or a particle and the conclusion that they've discovered is that, oh, it depends how we observe it. In the same way, is malignant egophrenia, is it just going to continue to, to, to destroy our species and the biosphere? Or is it going to wake us up? It depends how we dream it. It depends if we recognize what is being revealed. So what kind of, because um, I know you write a lot about um, this in your articles and things, what kinds of approaches are really appropriate and needed for people to kind of deal with mal malignant egophrenia, malignant egophrenia, right. and, and kind right. of recognize that it is a collective process. And that, because I mean, I, I, people are probably listening, look, you know, I'm a, 
I'm a leftist. I'm a progressive. I'm a I'm a liberal. I'm a I'm a nice person. I don't support the death penalty. I'm not doing proactive, preemptive wars. I'm not uh, curtailing people's civil liberties right. or, or or giving our nation's forests um over to um big business. I mean, I'm a nice guy, and Bush is totally different than me. He's a profiteering, mean, scoundrel, deceitful, aggressive, macho. And so what what is the, what are you talking right. about Paul Levy this that I'm somehow part of Bush and Bush is somehow part of me what, what is that Right 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 sure no totally and that you see from the point of view of this being a dream um you know the idea that he's separate from us just makes no sense whatsoever and um you know being being a dream character he actually however we're however you see him ignorant or mad or whatever yeah he being a dream character he's a reflection i mean his madness is our own madness and everything depends if we have that recognition so the thing i just want to one other way of answering your question because it's a great question is you know these times we're in many people think these are sort of like the end times you know sort of like these 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 apocalyptic times and and etymologically the word apocalypse it actually what it means is something hidden that's being revealed to us and what's being shown to us there's a number of things first off that we're all complicit in what's happening that being this is a mass shared dream that we're all collaboratively dreaming up together when you really sort of go into what is the meaning of that that's pointing at that we're all complicit in what's playing out um, the second thing is that the evil we see playing out in the world out there is a reflection of the evil inside of us and I actually really go into that in my book I point out the profound importance of sort of coming to terms with the nature of the beast so to speak that we're dealing with that it actually that if we if we project the evil out there and for example if we concretize Bush as being evil then we're doing we're guilty of the very thing that we're accusing Bush of we're projecting the shadow onto him which is what we're ultimately reacting against in him as what do doing you, what do you mean by that if we concretize Bush as being evil we would be projecting the shadow yeah, because what I'm what I say in the book is that he is because he's unconsciously been become so possessed by this deeper archetypal process, he's become an instrument for this like sort of transpersonal archetypal energy. So he's he himself has become this conduit for for evil for archetypal evil to give shape and form to itself in our world but it's it's a big mistake to identify him to solidify him as being evil because that's to confuse he's just a person we evil what the the evil that's coming through him is archetypal evil and it's a big mistake to confuse the personal dimension and the archetypal dimension okay so when I say oh if we concretize him as being evil then we're we're projecting our own darkness and seeing it out there as being separate from ourselves which is ultimately what Bush is doing so then in a sense we're we're guilty of the very thing that we're reacting to in Bush so it's really important to understand that yeah he's just an instrument for this deepest darkest evil to actually like to to incarnate it to incarnate itself in our world Okay, but I just want to point out there are a couple of other things that are being um, shown to us 
in the deeper process. And one is, I said we're complicit and that the evil we see out there is our own evil. But the third and fourth thing is that we're all, what's being shown to us is that we're all creating and we're all dreaming this world up together moment by moment. And that's a great responsibility, but it's also really empowering. And the fourth and final thing is that it's showing us that we're actually not separate, that we don't exist in the way that we've been imagining we do as discrete separative entities, but that we're actually all interconnected and interdependent and parts of a greater whole. And that's the expansion of consciousness, which can potentially precipitate out of malignant egophrenia if we recognize what's being shown to us. So does this, is this a psychological, because I can imagine someone might be listening and saying, oh, this is a really psychological approach or spiritual approach that's that's really kind of saying don't be an activist being an activist is uh-huh. is an important well How it's not just psychological that? it's in that it's it's it are you there paul yeah i can't i can't i wasn't able to hear you well sorry oh we just the had a little bit saying. of a we just had a little bit of a of a dropout on the but i was just asking you whether it's um what what about activism is this a call to not do activism is this about no 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 i Right. On the, on the contrary, one of the chapters in my book, it's called Spiritually Informed Political Activism. And I point out that, for example, people who are just political activists, which, you know, maybe the typical political activist is reacting with anger and hatred, you know, at what Bush is doing. But by doing that, they're they're unwittingly feeding what I call the the diabolical polarization in the field. And so ultimately, they're not actually helping. On the contrary, people who are just these spiritual practitioners, oh, I'm just going to like cultivate compassion and meditate and do my mantra. And if I get myself in order, then the outside the outside world will reflect that back. I point out they're just involved in their own narcissism because we're at the point in history where our inner process is manifesting as the outer world, that the way to work on our inner process is to fully engage in the outer world. And concurrently, the way to change the outer world is to fully connect with our inner process. And what that means is that you have to sort of combine you know, it's why I call it spiritually informed political activism, that the two can sort of cross-pollinate each other in this synergistic way, okay? So what would so that... So we have to have both. What would it look like? It's sort of like less less anger, more compassion, or more kind yeah. of doing, well, it would doing be definitely, personal definitely, work on yourself at the same time? Yeah, it would be... It would be all of those things, like having the compassion, but the point is we would, you know, we would be political activists with the realization that who is Bush, but that part of ourselves. So we'd have the real open-hearted compassion, but compassion, you know, I need to make a distinction between in in Buddhism, they call it idiot compassion compared to like genuine compassion, because sometimes real genuine compassion sets a boundary and says no. And when it sees abuse, it steps up and stops it. That's real compassion, you know? So, yeah, it's like to be really fully involved in the political arena as best as we can, depending on our own sensitivity and aesthetic, and at the same time having this spiritual awareness that who we're reacting to is not separate from ourselves and to not have our heart closed, you know? And it's to have both of those things kind of sort of interpenetrating the political activism and the spiritual wisdom. So is is part of it kind of getting getting past this idea that there's sort of political spheres of life and then there's personal and then there's um, economic and then there's spiritual and there's all these different sort of separate pieces and that actually it's all a, a, a kind of a one 
expression that needs to happen on many level levels um, simultaneously because people kind of do activism often as sort of like a career or a job or like, okay, now I'm in the activist role and all these other factors don't really factor in. I mean, for example, like the Freedom Center, we made a very clear decision to not just be an activist group. We wanted to be a support group as well as an activist group. And that's really, that's pretty unusual actually for um, right. in the world sure. in general, even in the mental health um, world, it's, it's somewhat unusual. Usually it's one or the other. Um, so is that kind of what you're what you're after in terms of like seeing that something is going on inside of yourself as well as this thing that's being projected on the outside in terms of Bush or whatever leader it is? Yeah. And I would say, like, for example, where a situation where all of those things are like having, you know, sort of like they're they're kind of separate and fragmented, whether it be the economic or the social or the political, the spiritual, that itself is a reflection of our inner fragmentation. Because in the ultimate sense, you know, they're all just just interconnected aspects of, of life. And um, yeah, so one of the things I'm pointing at, you see how I end my book, the final chapter is called Art Happening Called Global Awakening. And I'm pointing out that we're actually these creative, these multidimensional um, dreamers and artists whose canvas is this universe. And to the extent, you see, the antonym of the word um, diabolic, which is what's getting played out, is very diabolic. The word diabolic means that which separates. The antonym to diabolic is symbolic, symbol. Symbols bring together, and symbols are the language of dreams. So what I'm pointing out is the actual the actual like sort of way forward is for more and more of us to, to, to actually have the the awakening experience to the dreamlike nature of this reality that we're sharing to have the recognition that this world is an oracle that's speaking symbolically that's this this unfolding revelation and speaking symbolically means it's speaking in the language of dreams and we can more and more connect with each other in that way and put our collective genius together in a way where we can change this world and the way to understand that when you are in a night dream and you actually have the recognition that you're dreaming and if you're just one figure in that dream that's one thing but in that dream that you've woken up in that night dream if you connect with other figures in that night dream who are also becoming awake that they're dreaming and you contemplate what you are discovering what the nature of, of your situation is i.e. that the dreamscape is just your own energy projected out and it's because we've been conditioned based on fear and limitation that's why the dream is manifesting in such a fearful limited and problematic way when we discover that and we discover wow but we can actually dream it up differently much much more in alignment with you know sort of um the true nature of who we're discovering we are then being a dream it has no choice but to instantaneously shape shift and reflect back that expansion of consciousness but it's all a function of more and more of us connecting with each other and getting in sync with each other and activating our collective genius and that's the powers that be's worst nightmare so the book is called The Madness of George W. Bush, A Reflection of Our Collective Psychosis, and you can get it through your local, independently owned uh, bookstore. And um, Paul, or, what's, or what's, you, or, 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 what's go to my website? Or you can go to Paul's website, which is? www.awakenindhedream.com. And so, Paul, I'm just curious. We have a little bit more time. Um what um, what kind of reaction has your your book been getting? I know that you're kind of, and I know you also 
um, if people go to Paul's website, they can sign up and get on your email list because you're putting out a lot of really interesting articles. Mm -hmm. And I know that you get reactions to these from mm -hmm. really all over. You get like hundreds of emails. What are some of the titles? Of, you have these great titles for these articles. What are some of the titles for these articles that you've, um, that you've been writing and sending out? Yeah, well, you know, just in in the last little while, there was a really big article I put out that got all over the world called um, The War on Consciousness. And it's pointing out that the real war that's going on is not even the war in Iraq or the war against terrorism, but it's the war that our government is perpetrating on our own consciousness through mind control. And so that would be an example of one. Or, or this other one is is shadow projection is its own medicine, you know, pointing out that the very pathology, you know, because with shadow projection, like I was saying, that that's actually, you know, sort of the fundamental process that's underlying what's playing out in the world, that encoded in that is the very thing that could potentially wake us up. So it's just, you know, and that's similar to how in trauma, the very compulsion to repeat the trauma encoded in that is the very solution. So it's very, you know, I'm continually trying to point out that the very pathology or the problem encoded in that is the very solution. And with all my articles, I'm just creatively trying to express that in so many, you know, just, just different ways that hopefully will speak to people. Cool. And as far as your first question, you know, I get a lot of emails every yeah, day yeah. and a, a whole lot of them are really positive. People just blown away and saying, thank, you know, thanking me for expressing what they've been feeling, but didn't have words for. But then I do get a small percentage that are from Bush supporters who, you know, call me an idiot or whatever. But I even get some critical emails from people who hate Bush, but don't understand what I'm saying when I'm saying he's not separate from ourselves and we have to have compassion for him and that his madness is our own madness, that can really, really, I, I, I was surprised by that. That could really trigger people a lot. Yeah, well, it yeah. comes back to this idea of being a spiritual person or just being a person in the world. You want to have a good view of yourself, and you don't want to imagine that you might have corners of your own sort of psychology that um, share something in common with uh George Bush, and certainly not in the way that um, I guess Jung and you are talking out, that actually there's this movement or this collective psychosis that's going on, and we're all sort of part of this trance in some way. I mean, we're not, we don't go to Nuremberg rallies, and we don't go to, um, right. you know, we're not good Germans in that sense, but in a sense, there's a way we kind of are. There are sort of Nuremberg rallies these days, and there are... Um, there are sort of mass fascist participation, but we, those of us who are liberals and progressives and radicals and leftists don't think of ourselves as having that, um, you know, affinity or connection. And so I can imagine you would be upsetting a lot of, a lot of people. Totally. With that. And that's, yeah. and that's one of the things, because one of the, the underlying factors, I mean, when you think about with, uh, you know, Bush is that he's unwilling to, to experience, to consciously experience his, his shadow, his guilt, shame, or sin. And that's in all of us. And so here I'm saying, hey, look, you know, the that that evil, the shadow that we're seeing out there on in, in the world, whether it be in Bush or the terrorists or whoever, that's basically in ourselves. And we have to consciously experience that mortification. I mean, not split off from that. You know, there are people who just get really freaked out when I say that because they're they're not maybe they're not able to really go into that right now at their point in, in evolution. You Paul, know. what's your? Are you working on another book? What's your next uh, project going to be? Yeah, I've written since the book has come out. I've written, you know, 
I forget, like 23 articles or so since the book has been published. And so that's basically going to be my next book. I'm just, they just have to be integrated into a more whole piece. And yeah, so I'm one of the ways that I'm keeping myself sane in a world gone mad is through my creative work of writing. And I'm just not sure what the title will be, but it won't be so much about Bush. He was just a dream figure to really get across this deeper point that I'm trying to make. And as he hopefully exits stage left, um, you know, he just won't be as prominent of, of a figure of contemplation in my work from here on in. Yeah. You know, cool. But I'm well, just not sure what it's going to be called. Yeah. Well, um, keep us posted on that. And thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. Give us your, your website again so people can get in, in touch with you and, and sign up um, for your uh, sure. email Sure, if anybody's interested, and... thank you. Yeah, it's just um, www.awakeninthedream.com. And then, you know, it's all for free. You have all my articles there. And if you want to order my book, you, 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 you can order it right from the website. And I have um, this, you know, this other, this online, I was interviewed, um, I get interviewed a lot, but there's, you know, a particular interview that's online there that if you're interested, you can hear. And you can sign up for the mailing list and get my articles, you know, for free if you want. So, um, do yeah, you, I hope do you that do, you will um, do that. I know you do counseling. Do you do counseling work with people via phone or email? Because a lot of people yeah, may yeah, be going through... Yeah, yeah, I'm in, through, I'm in uh, practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People who might no, be I going appreciate through... That. A, and I, yeah, people who might be going through a spiritual emergence process similar to the one that you went through might you know, benefit Sure, no, totally. And I, I'm... Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Well, I'm in private practice and I do phone sessions all the time. And, um, yeah, all you need to do if you're interested and um, is just send me an email and then we can, you know, we'll set up a time and... We'll talk on the phone. That's that's no problem. Great. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Paul Levy. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Will. Thank you. You've been listening to Madness Radio, voices and visions from outside mental health. Madness Radio is broadcast every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Pacifica Affiliate, WXOJLPFM 103.3 Valley Free Radio in Northampton, Massachusetts. For our live internet stream, podcasting, show archives, and more, visit madnessradio.net. Madness Radio is co-produced by Freedom Center and The Icarus Project. For more information, check out freedom-center.org and theicarusproject.net. For more mental health radio, listen to the News Hour from mindfreedom.org, Wednesdays, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you have an idea for a story or guest on Madness Radio, or you just want to share what's in your head, contact us at radio at madnessradio.net. Mm -hmm.